0: Good morning. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint. Um, I guess Brad explained the why we were here and that was a wonderful show Brad did. Um, very pleased that we could get him on, get her on the show today. Um, joining me in the studio is Catherine Dimitrik, who's the executive director of the Northwest Regional Planning Commission. And I was, um, watching a committee meeting the other day on Zoom and there was Catherine and I have known Catherine how long, Catherine? Oh, well, I'm 25 be near, years. Know, it. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's just I was so thrilled that she is still out there working. Um, she does a great job in the Northwest Regional Planning Commission. So welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Yeah, glad this is here. cool.
0: I'm so glad you're here. It's am getting a smile on my face. Um Can you talk a little bit about your background with our listeners and how you became the executive director? And I should add when, because we were talking <laughs> about how many years you've been there, but... Sorry.
1: Sure. Um, so I've been the executive director of the Northwest Regional Planning Commission since 1994. Uh, so almost 30 years. Whoa. I've been at the commission. I've been the director a little less than that. Um, it's been a really amazing job to have. I, t- I tell people I've had the same position for 30 years, but I haven't done the same job because so much has changed in the world of planning and in Vermont generally. Um, the Regional Planning Commission mm-hmm. serves the in our regional planning commission is one of eleven statewide. We serve the communities of Franklin and Grand Isle counties, and we really serve as a bridge between local government and state and federal governments. As you know, Vermont has no county government, so right. we serve somewhat in that role. And we also use our staff to augment the capacity of local governments and help them do the work that they need to do. To Keep their community strong and vibrant.
0: That's great. I always remember you were our go-to person when we'd have questions And when I worked in the Department of Labor. I said, go get, go call, call Catherine. <laughs> so she's very, very knowledgeable. 30 years.
1: Yes, and I call myself an accidental planner because my college degree is actually in resource economics. And graduating in the recession of the early 90s, you took whatever job you could get. Right. So my first job I got was as a part-time planner for the town of Westford, and I found out I loved it and stayed in the
0: field. That's great. Well, that's really great. So um, uh, I asked Catherine here because when she was uh, testifying Forget the committee. Must have been economic. Senate Economic Development. Yeah, Economic Mm -hmm. Development. Um, She, um, she and the group up north put together an amazing um, housing report, and it was with Housing for All, and it's called A New Housing Needs Assessment Shows Challenges Ahead. And, um, you all know that housing is a very critical issue here in Vermont. There's an omnibus housing bill. It's S100 making its way through the Senate at the moment. Um, it's very one of those, um, better read every word sort mm-hmm. of bill. It's got a lot of stuff in it. It's it m- does. Many good things, many things I'm worried about, but you know, it, it is what it is. And, and at least I must give them a little credit. At least they're working on it. They recognize this is a problem. So. Uh, Catherine gave a very compelling presentation, so could you give us a little introduction as to why, A, you decided to conduct the, the assessment, but um, what were you facing that you decided maybe we better take a look at this more, more formally? Mm-hmm.
1: So I think anyone who is trying to find a home or knows someone trying to find a home recognizes that Vermont is in a housing crisis, right. and we knew in Franklin and Grand Isle counties that – Um, That struggle was perhaps exacerbated and worse in other parts of the state because of our proximity to Chittenden County and the stress that puts on our labor market and our housing market. We knew that what we need is more housing. Of all types now. Yeah, right. But there are many people who need to understand what that actually means. Like, what is the housing that we actually need? Can you quantify the need? Looking ahead, what sorts of, what types of housing and to serve who um, do we need? We have an initiative called the Housing for All Working Communities Challenge that's funded in part by the state of Vermont and in part by the Boston Federal Reserve Bank. Mm. And it looks at systems change. And the goal of that, um, Housing for All, is to spread the knowledge of the region's housing needs, ensure access to a safe home, build um, prosperous and healthy communities, Sustain and improve existing homes, and make it easier to build homes. That's right. So that this initiative is our way of trying to do what we can to address some of the points of the housing crisis. Recognizing no one person can fix everything, right. no one initiative, but we're trying to do what we can, what we can control. And part of that is really quantifying the need.
0: Right. Um, I work for Campaign for Vermont on, on another another hat I wear, and we've been we've been following the housing condition housing crisis and what's been happening in the state house but it's very hard we think to come up with actual solutions like do this Mm -hmm. um and that's been bothering us and we're trying to figure out how to how to get other people to come together and i mean what do you do and that's that's Mm -hmm. what we need to to grapple with right now about um housing it's just terrible
1: Yeah, and that is a question, and the housing is so complicated, and it's driven by so many forces, many of which we can't control or impact. Um, So I think the key is to really focus on the things that we can control and that we can impact.
0: There you go. You have a team of 12 businesses Um, that uh, that they compromise that housing for all. Mm -hmm. I didn't quite understand when I was doing the research. So they're together, these 12 uh, recognizable firms, um, helping because I'm sure they need workers.
1: Yeah. So the Housing for All is is a collaborative effort across the region. We have a strong history of working together in Franklin and Grand Isle counties, and this effort has brought together private businesses, municipalities, Human services. Churches, too. Wasn't
0: there churches, churches on yeah. yes. The
1: faith community, the regional development corporations, and really a large list of coalitions of people and organizations that care about these issues. And they care about it from a variety of viewpoints, from wanting their children to be able to stay here, right. from wanting to be able to hire workers and entice them to come here, from wanting their employees to be able to stay in safe, affordable, and stable housing.
0: That's great. Um i just uh, I also saw when I was doing some uh, research on the internet, I mm-hmm. saw a video that was posted about your outreach efforts, mm-hmm. and I thought that first I listened to the whole thing it was an interesting discussion. People were really into it, and um, provided some great comments. Uh, could you talk about that because I think it's so important to reach out to the people absolutely. So in fall of um, last
1: year, we hosted a community conversation on housing, and we invited people to come and talk about their experiences with housing, their ideas for what can be done. And some of the things we heard were what we had been hearing elsewhere, you know, the cost of housing is unaffordable. Um, But we also heard some interesting things we heard about the struggles that landlords have. I mean, often we hear about When we talk about rental housing, what we hear is how expensive it is and how challenging it is to find a place. We don't always hear from the landlord perspective, which is sometimes it's challenging to manage tenants. And unfortunately, with um, some of the circumstances we have now, we do have people who struggle to be good tenants. And we we heard about those challenges and the assistance and supports that could help landlords um, be able to manage tenants better. We also heard about... um, Struggles with financing. We heard about. Um, the interest in doing accessory apartments, but all the barricades and blocks that make it harder to do that. So we really heard some great things from people.
0: And, and what is an accessory apartment? Is that like a mother-in-law? Yeah, it's
1: so uh, people right. used to call the mother-in-law yeah, right. apartment. Yeah, it's an accessory dwelling unit is a small apartment that you would build within or really near your right. home um, where you would live in either the apartment yeah. or the main home.
0: Well, I have um, over the years I've, I've befriended a realtor or two, and they tell horror stories about having one, A, about if they have a trouble tenant or somebody that's causing problem, it's very hard to get rid of them, uh, because of the laws. And then they leave the place a mess and there's a lot of uh, money spent repairing apartments. That's not to say everybody It's just a small group, but enough to, enough to cause problems. And then I think some of the real estate people, the landlords, They're dealing with this and probably struggling with what to do.
1: One of the things that our, our community action agency recently did is hire a landlord liaison. And I think that's been a Good. really, a really great uh, initiative to, to make those connections. Right. Um, because we need landlords. We need landlords to be able to rent apartments yeah. to people.
0: Yes. <laughs> right. well, yes, we do. Um, and I know uh, some friends that live in apartments in Chittenden County. Holy moly. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money. It sure right is. There. Anyway, <laughs> so can you talk about, um, the population, who you're dealing with, your customers up in Franklin and County. What number of people, and the race, ethnicity, disabled, homeless. What's the, what's that group look like?
1: So our, our population in Franklin and Grand Isle County is very similar to the rest of the state in terms of age. We are an aging population. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But we do, um, we, unlike some other parts of the state, we are growing. So we did have a small amount of growth in Franklin and Grand Isle counties from 2010 to 2020. Um, So we are a growing population. We are, our growth, although small, is a little bit more diverse. So um, in the last 20 years, about 60% of our growth has been from people who um, report as being black, indigenous, mm. um, or a combination yep. of races. So we're, we are seeing some increase in diversity of race and ethnicity. Um, we do have a population of single person in low-income households that struggle to meet their housing needs. Right, I'm um, Very similar to the rest of the state. Yep. And we do have people who are disabled who also struggle to find housing.
0: Yeah, and we're going to talk about the details of the report. And I was surprised to read about the number of single people. Mm-hmm. And I found that fascinating.
1: Yeah, we found that fascinating. There were a few things that surprised me when um, we did this report, which was done by PlaceSense, a consulting firm. Uh, the one of the things that did surprise me is the growth in single-person yeah. households. Right.
0: Because my take from my two grandchildren and all their friends is that age group is staying home mm-hmm. because they can't afford the prices of uh, – um, in, in my case, my two grand, they're working, and but they live at home, and uh, my daughter gives them – you know, this, like, they have their own apartment, but, uh, it, that's just, it, that's not theirs. They're not building equity, and, mm-hmm. um, and that's concerns me, but it's a reality. Yeah. Um, and ca- I think oh. the,
1: the single person households, um, from the data that we can glean, crosses all age groups. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the young people ah, who are starting okay. out, but it's, it could be seniors who find themselves but, alone yeah. in their home now.
0: Um, I was hoping we could, there's a couple of highlights from the report that I'd like to talk about because, I had some questions on them, how you reached those conclusions. The first one is that, you know, we're not creating the number and types of homes in the, in the Franklin and Grand Isle. Um, and you said to provide people with the foundation for economic stability and better health. When you take those two issues, I just curious how you determined how many are out there who, um, are not able to, um, find the appropriate housing. How did you come up to decide how much that, who, who is, who it is?
1: How did we get there? Yeah,
0: how did we get there? That's a good question. (laughs)
1: So our our housing needs analysis estimated that about 7,600 households or individuals in Franklin and Grand Isle counties um, are under-housed. And the way we define under-housed is three pieces – The first is people who are currently unhoused, so um, typically referred to as people who are homeless, um, people who don't have a permanent place that they can call home. The second group of individuals added up into that 7,600 is those who are cost burdened, Uh, so people who cannot afford to live in the places that they are currently living in an uh affordable way. And the third group of people that um, add into that number are people who are... um, Underhoused, so living in a situation that they may not um, prefer to be in, and uh-huh. I know you um, <clears throat> reference young adults who right. who maybe want to fly the nest but aren't doing that yet. Right, that is a group of people that we we would count okay. in the underhoused
0: group. Yeah. Just telling Catherine about my grandchildren—they're <laughs> in their twenties, but they're still home, mm-hmm. and you know they're free to come and go as they want and stuff. But um, I'm sure they would. Prefer, But Portland is um, just as bad as Burlington, I think. so.
1: Yeah, so there is a portion of those people that we counted to yeah, come up with that number. So there's a lot
0: of door knocking, a lot of uh, roaming <laughs> it's around. It's based
1: on data. Oh, <laughs> so okay, it's so there's
0: no door knocking. No. What I heard in the statement that you made about economic stability and better health, I think that housing is just a, a, the tip of the iceberg, sort mm-hmm. of, because behind that is Getting a good job and and the cost of health care, which just all together, you can't win for you know, for trying. I mean, it's just the three legged stool.
1: Yeah, we actually call it um, the formidable four in our region, coined by Kathy Lavoie, who was our workforce oh, investment yeah. uh, director. And the formidable four impediments to being successful housing, transportation, ah, transportation. child care. Yeah. And substance use those were the formidable four issues that we we're facing in our region, and um, housing is a foundation for really the other three
0: well let's tell you when I moved this is a long time ago when I moved to um, uh, Vermont from sorry to say but New York um, <laughs> but I was very surprised about the cost of child care. Mm-hmm. And, and food, actually. Those were the two things I noticed when I came in. I, I went to the Grand Union to, you know, like the first week I was here and I did my usual shopping, you know, the thing, the list you've got in your head. And when I checked out, it was like 40 bucks more. And I went, oh. no, <laughs> there's something wrong here. And nope, there's nothing wrong. It was, that's what it was. And then uh, I knew from childcare how expensive mm-hmm. it was. So.
1: Yeah. And if you're a person who's, um typically affordable housing is housing is considered affordable if you pay thirty percent or less of your income ah. for your housing costs. And if you're a household that's paying more than that, yeah, it hurts. then it hurts right. when it comes to trying to pay for yeah. child care or health care. Which
0: leads to my, I discuss this all the time that to four out of of no it's forty percent of Vermonters. That's the the stat. Forty percent of Vermonters are dealing with food insufficiency, mm-hmm. because that's the first thing they they stop spending money on. If you've got to deal with the rent and the housing and the mortgage, and and when you look at a McMansion, you should not assume that everything is is well behind those doors. Because forty percent of Vermonters is a lot of people.
1: It is a lot of people are housing insecure. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, food, food insecure. insecure. Yeah, that's it's really. Absolutely.
0: It's really scary. So, um, and you just mentioned the 7,600 people in the, in the two counties. Um, and I, I just, that's a lot of folks. How, what is the total population in your area? Do you know?
1: Uh, the total population off the top of my head is just oh. over 50,000 okay.
0: people. Well, that's still a lot of, a it's lot a, of people. It's
1: a lot of people. Um, and when you, when you think about our housing needs and just the sustained effort that we would need to build more, to, to just catch up.
0: Yeah right, and right. serve
1: those seventy six hundred yeah. people. Not even mention bringing in new people and meeting our future economic and community development
0: goals. Right, it's bad out there. And these all of the statistics that you have in this report were twenty twenty uh, from exactly. the census data, and that didn't really include the pandemic. Yeah. So I'll bet you those numbers are not going down if you did it again.
1: Absolutely. So the study showed that um, if you're a renter, forty three percent of renters are currently living in housing that's considered unaffordable. So they're paying so they're paying more than 30% of their income for housing, and 30% of homeowners are in that place as well. As you note, that was 2020 data. Right. And we know that the median housing cost in Franklin County, for example, has gone up $30,000 in two years.
0: Right. Yeah, because there's a demand there, so the sales and rent prices are going up. That's mm-hmm. just sort of the way it Absolutely. goes. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to – we were talking about the household growth going up for non-family and single-person households. Um, I guess what is the definition of non-family? Is that just a non-traditional a group of people bringing in grandma, grandpa, and, and other folks?
1: So non-family would be those you're not related to.
0: Oh, really? Yes <laughs> Oh I missed that definition. So it's just a group of folks sharing the mm-hmm. the cost, and you have you have a lot of that situation um it's growing really It is definitely
1: growing. Oh. It, um, it's interesting household size is decreasing, um, but the ne- and the number of nonfamily households is growing.
0: interesting. Well, you said the di- the data highlighted uh, you called it mismatch between the types of home built and the people who need them that mm-hmm. they're out there but maybe not for the people that need them.
1: Yeah, if you look at um, the housing that is available in Franklin and Grand Isle counties, it's predominantly single-family detached homes. Yep. And that's predominantly what's built now, Uh, bar a few projects. And if you look at where our housing growth is, it's in the single-person households. So there is definitely a mismatch between what's being built and what our future housing needs are. So when I talked um, at the beginning about how we need more housing of all types, it's really the all types that we need to focus on, too. It can't just be more housing. It needs to be of all
0: types. And where are these single people coming from? Are they just leaving the nest, or are they moving in from other places because Grand Isle is so attractive with the water and the – I mean, that's a great – it's even a great second home sort of place.
1: Yes. Uh, (laughs) Um, So yes, yes, and yes. The the single-person households come from people moving there. They come from people finding themselves now alone in their home where they weren't before. Um, And they also come um, from people wanting to fledge the nest.
0: (laughs) There you go. That was me. I I fled early on in life. (laughs) Um, So obviously we're looking at people with low incomes. People identified as you talked about the uh, black, indigenous, and people of color—they um, get hit the hardest.
1: Absolutely, those numbers that I gave about affordability, where 43% of uh, renters can't afford um, the rent that they're in, like wow. it's, it's unaffordable. That's actually worse the lower you go on the income scale. Sure. So for our, so for our um, lowest income residents. The number is about eighty percent are in uh, are renting in places that are considered unaffordable to them.
0: Eighty mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, that's a lot of people.
1: It's a lot of people, and it's a struggle. I mean, if you've never, if you've never had to think about how you're going to pay your rent, you can't imagine the amount of stress
0: right it puts For sure. on
1: a person. You
0: yeah. know, I.
1: Um, I'm very lucky and privileged now to be a homeowner, but in my younger years, as I know, I graduated from college during the recession of the 90s, and yeah. I've been in the situation where I wrote a check for rent and hope I made enough tips at the restaurant <laughs> exactly. that night well, to cover the checks. So. That's when they allowed us to. <laughs> exactly. to
0: we, had a, we had a couple of days I remember uh-huh. that now it's instant it drives it's me instant, crazy even yes. at the food store the, the check goes in and it takes it right out
1: Yeah so I recognize the stress of when I have lived it and it is it it impacts your health it impacts oh. your ability to succeed
0: Yeah been there done that yeah. yeah that's funny I don't know how they figured that out to be instantly <laughs> but I always like the two or three days that you yeah, can so it was, hope it to was goodness. very helpful when you needed it a- <laughs> Exactly Exactly um we're going to take a break in just a minute, and uh I want to talk about the word, and you just said it catching up mm-hmm. because I saw that in your report, and we will talk about that on our way um uh on the side of the break that 's coming up any minute i 'm watching danny um because and then the the issue of aging in place there's just so much stuff happening out there. My husband and I are not leaving our house because it's paid for. Mm-hmm. we can move downstairs. Maybe have, uh, my husband's not too happy about this idea, but have income uh, upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what a do? What else do you need? Um, so we're going to take a break right now. Um, and, uh, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Be right back. Hi there, this is Pam McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. And I'm here with Catherine Dimitrik, who's, um, head of the Northwest Regional Planning Commission. And we are talking about a study that the commission, um, undertook. And the title of that, uh, that final report is New Housing Needs Assessment Shows Challenges Ahead. And one of these challenges is what I referred to before the break, Aging in Place. That's me. Uh, and you comment in the report that the number of people aging in place will to continue, continue to grow until peaking around 2040. Whoa. How did you determine, how did you come to that conclusion? Just a uh, soul folks are hanging around too long, right?
1: <laughs> well, no, not too long. <laughs> uh, so the, that conclusion, um, our consultant used the census data to just, you know, look ahead and project right. ahead to um, where our population will be 20 years from now. And we do see it peaking in 2040 and then shifting a little bit.
0: Yes. Uh, most of these, I'm assuming, are older, um, retired retired mm-hmm. people. And I just posted something on my Facebook. I, I um, uh, heard, read some information about a new study that Vermont is the fourth most expensive place for – a retirees to live. Oh, I'm so proud of us. <laughs> <laughs> and um, if we keep going, what they're doing in the in Montpelier, we may be first after all. But that's another show. <laughs> um, but the aging in place is an issue.
1: It is an issue, and what we're finding, you know, the data shows that it's an issue, and we we recognize that. And what we're hearing anecdotally is it's an issue for a number of reasons. Um, if you look at affordability, seniors have the data shows that it's housing is less affordable for seniors and single-person households. It Also, we are hearing anecdotally that seniors that want to perhaps downsize or move to a more accessible dwelling can't do it Mm -hmm. because the housing costs are so high, and um, so they can't move. So that leaves them stuck in a place that may not be ideal, and it doesn't free up that home for somebody who may Need a, yeah. a
0: single-family home, for example. And I think it's it's hard to move at a certain age. I have a, a dear friend; that, they're in their eighties and they're moving out of state. And I thought, what a huge decision! <laughs> because you have to, you know, all the doctors and the services and, no. and blah blah, and and just basic friends to to talk to. That's a big decision, but I understand why because of the expense.
1: Yeah, and but, I think what you know what the housing crisis is doing is it's taking away the choice.
0: Exactly. So right, that's you.
1: your choice that you th- you want to be able to stay where you are, right. and that's great if you right. can make that work. But the ability to move somewhere else in Vermont, if you want to downsize or you move to a more accessible unit or right. or anything, um, that choice is being taken away yeah. because of our housing crisis.
0: So you talked a lot in the report about catching up, and you just mm-hmm. mentioned it a little. Bit. How do you catch up? Um, that's that's a big challenge, it's and does take huge a lot challenge. of money.
1: It's a huge challenge, and there is no one solution that's going to fix this housing crisis. Um, so much of what feeds into the cost of housing is beyond our control. You know, we can't we can't impact the cost of a sheet of plywood. You know, we yes we, we can't do that. But what we can do is we can make sure that our state and our communities have permitting systems in place that encourage housing in our growth areas and make it easier to build there. Right, And we are, the Regional Planning Commission is working with the town of St. Albans, Montgomery, several other communities on what's called a bylaw modernization project, where they're looking at...
0: Do that again. I missed
1: that. uh, It's called bylaw modernization. So looking at your local permit regulations and making sure that you really are making it easier to build in those places that you want to see housing. And there's been some great work in that area being done. And we really see this as one thing that we can control, <laughs> that we can um, make some movement on that um, so that if land is developed in our growth areas that we maximize the housing that can happen there.
0: Uh, some of this deals with Act 250. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in the legislature yesterday or the day before, there was a big discussion they wanted to, some people wanted to do more building and others uh, were worried that this was changing Act 250 and they didn't want to change it. Um, but I think Act 250 when it was started was a, was great. We needed it to control and um, you know, not uh, take, you know, not pave the pave the payment for what's that song about? A oh, pave paradise. <laughs> paradise and put up a parking lot. We don't want that here. But we have a demand and something's got to give and i think some of act 250 has to be tweaked it just you have to you can't hang on to it it's 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 too much change outside in the real world
1: yeah i agree with you pat i think that there are definitely changes that can be made to act 250 to make it easier to build in our growth right. areas exactly. and that's key you know we 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 need to respect Vermont's land use goals yep. because they've helped create the state that people want to move to
0: exactly. <laughs> so, well, right.
1: and, and the that we all want to stay in. Um, but we need to make some changes, both at the local level and the right. state level. And municipalities can't be expected to be the only ones to change. You know, I talked about that bylaw Modernization right. Project. The S100 also has some some required changes to local development regulations, but towns can't be expected to do everything. There needs to be some changes at the state level,
0: too. I agree with that. But you're up uphill battle, Catherine, (laughs) because there's some people that want to hang on to Act 250, just like it can't be touched, but it should be.
1: I think we are in a crisis, a housing crisis, and Mm -hmm. that requires some bold action and it also requires compromise not compromising everything but there has to be some
0: compromise i look back to what happened after tropical storm irene Mm -hmm. they really did back off of regulations and things were fixed much faster than they would have been otherwise and nothing fell apart nothing terrible happened because i don't think builders want to have the parking lot either they want the um the the beautiful views and the land and uh, because they're Vermonters too. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's very yes. very strange. So catching up involves a lot of a lot of work, a lot yeah, of and different involves,
1: people. It involves not only building new housing, but fixing some of the housing that we have.
0: Right. Some of
1: it is substandard, or it's not being able to be occupied now, and, oh. and that takes money.
0: Yeah, it does. You must have yeah. some old old stock in, we do. in your area.
1: Yeah, um, Franklin County especially has some pretty old housing stock. Some of our some of our towns have among the oldest housing stock in the state. Like oh, really? Like a community like Richford, its housing stock percentage-wise is among the right. oldest in the which state. Which
0: is a killer to heat, mm-hmm. which uh, is a killer to repair. Yeah. Yeah, it's really uh, bad. Oh, we've got a call, Catherine. Jim from Barry. Jim, you're on the phone. Do you have a question for Catherine?
2: Yeah, hi. Good morning. Morning. Um, I, I moved to Vermont in 86, and I, I had some ideas of, of owning land and and ultimately maybe living off the retirement of, of selling a lot here and there. And, and over the course of the last 35 years, I've just come to the conclusion I want nothing to do with land development in Vermont. Way mm. too risky and way too speculative and, and just way too uncertain. And I think there has to be an acknowledgement today. Um, back in 86, it was at 289 or, or something like that was, was, was the big thing that we were, were concerned with. But I think there has to be an acknowledgement today that, We're exactly where everyone on the, I don't want to say developers' end, it was the the casual guy that might buy a piece of land and subdivide it, um, just completely went away because it's just way too speculative. And I I think if we don't acknowledge that we've kind of created our own problem, it's, it's never going to resolve it. And I'll give you a couple of key examples of it. As I understand it, if you buy a piece of land today, and you want to subdivide it, you have to get your perk test and your um, septic system design prior to doing the subdivision, which just front loads all this incredible money to someone that just has a little mm-hmm. extra money. They want to speculate on some land. And, and right now I'm at a point where we're kind of thinking of buying some land to develop uh, or build a house ourselves or maybe something to have a separate lot. It just gets way too confusing for someone that's just sort of doing it on the side. Maybe we'll have a second lot that we can sell. But I, anyway, I think there has to be an acknowledgement that the the rigid um, land use development regulations in the state of Vermont has created this problem. Period. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Jim. You
2: say the development area, the the growth areas every area has the opportunity to have some kind of a growth to say that you have to have it here, but not there is, is part of the problem, that mentality of the things so that you can dictate it. But anyway, that's why my, my comment It's not really a question other than is there buy-in to the idea that we created our own problem?
0: Oh, thanks for the question. I'm waiting to hear what Catherine has to say. Hello.
1: <laughs> well, I suspect we may disagree on some of the particulars. <laughs> um, I think we can agree that this is partially a problem of our own making when it comes to our permitting system. Right. When I started in my career, I, I'm, do, I'm old enough now that I can say way back when. Way back when. In, the, <laughs> um, in
0: the good old days.
1: Way, way back when, um, when I started in the planning profession, there was concern about the speed and scale of growth happening in Vermont. Really? And communities, when we talked about... redoing their local development regulations, this concern was, how do we manage growth? How do we slow it down? How do Mm. we make sure it doesn't overburden our schools? Our schools were busting at the seams. And so we developed, I think, in response to that, a system that because things move slowly in Vermont has remained in place even when we're now at a place where we're saying we need more housing, we need more right. kids in our right. schools, and we need more people like Jim to be able to to do these small developments to right. help ease our housing
0: crisis. Well, when I was in the Department of Labor, I heard from many developers, and all they said was about we want predictability. Mm-hmm. Because Jim's right, Um, you go into a project and you don't know where it's going to lead you financially. And they they said all we want is predictability. Tell us how much and how long, and they'll they'll accommodate that. But they need, and that's fair. You Mm -hmm. you can't blame them for. They want to know what what they're facing, and and I think Act two fifty is not as predictable as as people would like.
1: I think from my viewpoint, watching projects go through Act 250, which is the only viewpoint I have, yeah. um, it is fairly predictable, the course it takes and the, the approval that will be reached at the end. Really? What I can't comment on is everything that happens before that point. Mm-hmm. So once a project hits Act 250, I think it's fairly predictable what's going mm-hmm. to happen. Um, getting to that point i right. can't speak to it. Right.
0: well i think uh, that that's probably what it is because uh, the, as jim mentioned there's so many things you have to do before like the perk tests and mm-hmm. and all that stuff and and it all costs money and it and, does um,
1: and there's value to that too i mean we don't want people uh, buying lots that can't be developed and and protecting the consumer so there mm-hmm. there's there's good reasons behind most of the systems mm-hmm. that we have in place that mm-hmm. doesn't mean we shouldn't examine them and tweak them, maybe maybe
0: them. we're just bad at not informing people why we're doing things it's very funny when you like when i was in motor vehicles people get really mad down in the lobby and i go down there and i tell them exactly what's happening and why and they were they didn't help them it didn't change anything but they seemed fine because they understood mm-hmm. and maybe we're just really bad at it's this is what we're doing and that's it and you gotta follow it, but maybe we should spend a little time explaining why.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think explaining why leads you to a conversation about, you know, honing in on to ideas for how things could be different. Right. Like if that's the why, well, how else could we get there? That Ex- might be better for everybody.
0: Oh, well, there you go. Good. I love this conversation. That is good. Thanks, Jim. That was really good. Um, but also asking, I, you said about setting goals in your report. Who, should be at the table with you to set those goals so actually action can happen afterwards. Mm-hmm. Who who sits at the table with you to make those decisions?
1: So we'd like to have at the table with us all the people we mentioned earlier that are part of the Housing for All Working mm-hmm. Communities Challenge Coalition. So that includes our community action agency, small developers, um, our Chambers of Commerce and Development Corporations, as well as municipal governments, to really take this number of need that we estimate is out there and figure out how how do we meet that need? Where this where should this housing go? What can we do strategically to help make it happen in our communities?
0: Yeah, that's great. And I think I know. I noted uh, that you also said involving all communities, including marginalized population. Mm-hmm. They all. They all need a voice at the table.
1: Absolutely, and one of the things that um, one of the things that's somewhat unique about housing is that everybody that you talk to has a stake.
0: They do because mm-hmm. everybody needs a home. Yep, there you go, um, Catherine. We have a caller, Eli from Barry. Eli, you have a question for us or a statement?
2: Well, yeah. Hi, can you hear me? Okay. Yes, you're good. Go ahead. Well, great! Thank you both so much for having this conversation. It's so important to me. You know, I've been a, lived in Vermont for for many, many years, and I don't mean to sideline the conversation at all. But one question that I don't hear ever coming up is where are the wages to support these right. houses that that we want to build? Like we have a housing crisis, but guess what? No one in Vermont can afford to buy a house. So I, I'm just curious as to why I don't hear more about that. Or
0: well, I think as I just mentioned before when I was talking to Catherine that it's much more than housing. It's the cost of healthcare. It's what we, you get in jobs. And Catherine listed childcare and some other things. And, um, it's, it's just not housing. It's the whole package. And, um, uh, I agree with you on, on, on jobs, um, and training. Um, there's just a lot that has to happen to make, um, us all be able to afford housing.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Eli. You know, the the point of this report was to look at housing specifically in terms of the counting the units that we need and the affordability of housing as it exists. One way to fix that equation to make it more affordable is if wages go up. Right. Um, and we are seeing wage growth. The, the study did note that there has been wage growth that for homeowners – at least up until 2020, had kept up with home price increases. For renters, it has not.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they are talking about renters a lot in the statehouse, um, recognizing that their their needs. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a good conversation. So, um, but I know everyone said, "Well, we've talked about job costs and minimum wage increase, um, but it's not just minimum wage. It's it's all it's, wages. It's all wages mm-hmm. because." Um, uh, you think it's a lot of money until you start uh, paying for all the stuff we've been talking about.
1: Right. And when you think about um, you know, minimum wage, minimum wage, if you work full time, would put you um, at less than 50 percent of the median income for the state. And that would mean, according to our study, that chances are that 60 percent of those people are living in housing that's unaffordable. Wow.
0: Wow. Pretty staggering. Welcome to yeah. Vermont. Thank you, Eli. That was a great question. I appreciate it. Great comments. Um, so, you're, I mean, I, a lot of the stuff that you put down, it's all about data. Yeah. <laughs> and no, it is. I'm looking at this list and tracking this, updating, and it's all about um, tracking this and, and making, doing an analysis of what the data tells us. And that's always a good thing to make decisions based on data. That's what um, a, a lot of folks try to do because you know it's true you know the need is there anecdotal yeah. um, doesn't quite cut the cut it
1: and but we also know that data doesn't work for everybody And, um, you know, I'm a planner, so I look at data and it speaks to me, but it doesn't speak to everybody. So another initiative that we're doing through the Housing for All Working Communities Challenge is we're working on a video series to hear from people about their experiences finding and staying in housing in Franklin and Grand Isle counties, calling it Voices from Home. And we're working on that over the next few months Uh to really put the people behind the data to describe what's happening.
0: And so um – are most of your people that are working people, do they travel to Chittenden County or are, are they employed locally? Do you have um, that information? It is a
1: mix. We do know that we have, um, depending upon which count you look at, anywhere between eight and 10,000 people daily that work in Chittenden County from Franklin and Grand Isle Counties.
0: Mm. So because it's a significant I, yeah, number. As I heard on a, another show, um, I think, I don't know it was Matt Dunn was saying it, but People that, that don't have the money and need more affordable housing move out of the work, the, Mm -hmm. the job market area. Like, and they were talking about Rutland and so people move out of Rutland and it's almost like a catch 22 because then they have to pay for transportation. So what's, what's, what's less expensive staying in Rutland and and then walking to work Mm -hmm. or, or taking public transportation or moving outside, buying your home and then having to travel.
1: Yes, it is definitely. It's a catch-22. It it is a catch-22. And there's this other measure of affordability that is, um, if you look at transportation plus housing, Uh i not supposed to exceed 45% of your income. And if you look at Franklin and Grand Isle counties and you use that measure, there's one small part of St. Albans City that's considered affordable by the average household. The rest of the region is considered unaffordable using that measure. Wow. And it's because you look at um, the commuting distance that people right. have to make in order to afford the place that they live in.
0: Right. It's a big decision is doing that, too. It is, yeah. um, I know I, I was in Bristol first, and, and I took a job in, in Burlington. And that was a big commute, mm-hmm. um, and cost uh, you know cost a lot.
1: And one of the things that you know that number that we talked about earlier—the seven thousand six hundred people who are currently under housed—that right. doesn't account for those people who maybe would prefer to live closer to right. where they work but can't afford to.
0: And what's your public transportation up there? Do you have a local? A transportation unit? Or? We do
1: Green Mountain Transit that serves Stritten County and right. Washington County, right. and Loyal also serves Franklin and Grand Isle, but it's very limited. You know, We do have a commuter bus once a day from St. Albans into Burlington, and then we have a route from um, St. Albans to Richford and into Alberg.
0: Okay. Do they bring you back?
1: They, they do, <laughs> they but do. you can't make all your connections always. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly.
0: Yeah, I was, um, oh, I guess when I was uh, in transportation, we were working with some of the local um uh, buses to, mm-hmm. at least to make them connect. Yes. Um, because if they coordinated their time, you could go from Rutland to mm-hmm. somewhere else, uh, Chittenden and, and then have a bus there that could take you, but they never, never quite it's coordinated. Is it getting it better? It's getting better. It's getting better. to know when, <laughs> how hard is this?
1: You started a trend. And it's getting better.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, why can't somebody get from Burlington to, to, to Rutland? Now, of course we have the train, but that's a few bucks. Um, so, <laughs> excuse me. Thanks Catherine that made me feel good. Anyway <laughs> but that makes sense to me. It
1: does it makes a lot of sense.
0: I remember one young man who is a disabled man I know from Barry was stranded on a on a bus and on a corner one time for in bad weather for oh, geez. and i'm like oh people we have to do better so Catherine we've got two minutes you have an answer for us
1: i wish i did i Matt. Know. um i really wish i did i i would say that you know the efforts in the state house this year um s100 for example that the senate's considering now is really trying to address some of the things we can control good um, it's not going to be the end of the story I mean, this, is, right. this, this has been a crisis a couple decades yeah. in the making. And and
0: I, I'm not even sure they can get that out this year because we'll it's still see. in the Senate and it's got to go to the House. And it's a huge bill. People, everybody will want to weigh in. So they may not make it. We'll um, I'm hoping they do make, put something out.
1: I do. But, I do, too, uh, because, yeah. you know, Vermont's investing a lot of dollars in housing, which is great.
0: Right. Catherine, I can't thank you enough for coming on, and thank you for doing this report. I have shared it with several friends of mine great. who um, are going to incorporate it into their their thinking and, and looking at this issue. Wonderful. Because Because um, the more minds... More ideas, you should, uh, those listening, if you've got any good ideas, give them to your legislature. Or send them by way. (laughs) Yeah, send them to Catherine. That's a good idea. Anyway, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Uh, We'll see you on Thursday. Bye.